Give us grateful hearts, O God of love, that we might receive your grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The English poet and priest George Herbert wrote, Thou hast given so much to me, give one thing more, a grateful heart, not thankful when it pleases me as if thy blessings had spare days, but such a heart whose very pulse may be thy praise. When it comes to life and faith, grateful hearts make all the difference. When we receive as a gift, we are opened to the transformative power of God in our lives. And when we are not grateful, we end up with a lot of resentment, entitlement, and fear. Gratitude these days might seem like a forgotten virtue, but it is one of the ways in which Christ makes all the difference. Brother David Stendhal Rast is a Benedictine monk who grew up in Nazi-occupied Austria. A couple of years ago, he gave a TED Talk that quickly became famous. It has over 9 million views. It's called, Want to be Happy? Be Grateful. He says that gratitude, or gratefulness, happens when we appreciate something, affirm its goodness, and recognize that the source is beyond us. This could be something as simple as being grateful when someone buys you a cup of coffee, or when someone forgives us something that we have been feeling guilty about, or when we thank God for the gift of Jesus Christ. Standel Rast notes that gratitude is not circumstantial or conditional. We can be grateful at any moment of life. Now, gratitude does not mean, though, that we have to be thankful for all things. It does not mean that we accept the unacceptable. Rather, he has found that there is transformation always awaiting us when we accept that invitation to give thanks. He founded the Network for Grateful Living to help people in making gratitude the frame for our lives. At our Mental Health 101 event last week, led by Tori Kern and Mary Plumley, Mary gave us a very helpful metaphor of a picture frame. We can't always change the situation of our lives. That's what the photo would capture. We don't control that. But we do have a say in what frame we put the photo in. Do we use one with vibrant colors or just some cheap and dreary one? Gratitude is a frame that we can always take with us. And with that frame, we encounter the grace and love of God more profoundly. That's what this morning's passage from Luke is all about. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, the city of his passion, and is in the region between Samaria and Galilee, a region we might call the borderlands. Samaritans and Jews have a long and difficult history. Each side saw the other as less than, as responsible for all of the problems in their nation, and as religious heretics. Samaritans worship on Mount Gerizim, Jews on the Temple Mount of Jerusalem. And so it is in this space between these two groups that a group of lepers has made their sanctuary. 
They had been exiled by their disease, by both Jews and Samaritans. As the saying goes, misery loves company, and they had each other. As Jesus approaches, they beg for mercy, trusting that he could do something for them. Now, I know that when we gather in a space like this and we say Jesus or God, we have very big thoughts that include things like church history, the Bible, and libraries full of theology. And those all have a place, but Jesus is also intimately personal. Jesus is the good shepherd of the entire flock, yes, but he's also my good shepherd, just as he is your good shepherd. Jesus is the lover of our souls, our companion, and as he tells his disciples at the Last Supper, Jesus is our friend. Now, who knows how much of this these lepers knew, but they knew enough to call out to Jesus in mercy, and Jesus responds with compassion, and Jesus longs to do the same for each of us. When we call out, Lord, have mercy, we can trust that that cry is heard and taken into the very heart of God. Jesus then tells the lepers to go and show themselves to the priests. As much as people these days like to talk about Jesus being a rebel and revolutionary, and yes, he was in some ways, he was also not in the deconstruction or demolition business. Priests were given the duty of inspecting diseases and declaring whether or not someone was ritually clean. Now, Jesus could have said, I make you clean, and you don't need to go back to that system that called you unclean. No, it's just the opposite. Jesus heals them for the purpose of restoring them back to their religious community. God is bringing us through this pandemic a time when we all had a very small glimpse of what these lepers knew. It was not that long ago that stores, restaurants, and churches all shut down. We were exiled from one another as we stayed home. And through the God-given gifts of science and dedication, virologists and epidemiologists sequenced the DNA of the virus and they made vaccines that have been tremendously helpful in preventing death and serious illness. And now that we are coming out of this pandemic, are people returning to the communities from which they were kept? Largely, no. Counselors report the rise of loneliness in our society. And we seem to have missed one of the very obvious lessons from this pandemic. We are made for one another. It is as the South African Archbishop Desmond Tutu put it, I am because we are. When Jesus sent these lepers back to the priests, he was sending them into community. We are made for community, healed in order to be in communion with one another. While I deeply believe that those who have not yet come back to church are missing out on the joys and the blessings of being a part of a beloved community and of partaking of sacramental and intentional worship, we also have to acknowledge the fact that we are diminished by their absence. The people who are missing from these pews 
We cannot say, well, that's just too bad for them. Because the truth is, it's too bad for us. We are missing their voices in our prayers, their contributions in our ministries, their insights in our discernment, their smiles in our hearts. We cannot pretend that we are back to normal because we are not, and we probably never will be. Now, this does not mean that there will not be healing, but we have to be honest about the ways in which this pandemic has fractured community and not just churches. And if it's not too late to learn the lesson, we can remember that we are made for one another. Now, what's interesting about the healing is that it's missing from the text. Jesus does not say a word or touch them when the leprosy disappears. It was along the way to see the priests that they were healed. This tells us two things. One is that sometimes healing takes a while. As much as we want an immediate solution, that often is not what we get. And secondly, the way this event unfolds shows us that sometimes we have to trust something to be true before we know it to be true. Imagine being one of these lepers. We're told to go and show ourselves to the priest, but we look at our skin and we're very much still leprous. Why in the world would we go to the priests and show them, hey, look, I'm still an outcast? But they go, and along the way they are healed. As much as I would like to promise you that every time you pray, every time you give, every time you serve, every time that you come to church, that it will be an amazing, transcendent, and holy experience, I cannot make that promise. But I can promise you that through obedience and commitment, God will do more than we can ask or imagine. And this happens not because God demands or rewards our obedience. It's just the simple fact that it is awfully hard for the current of the river to move us when we're standing on the shore. Now, nine of the lepers, when they notice their healing, continue on their journey to the priests. But one turns back to Jesus. And notice that Jesus does not take back the healing of the nine. It's always about grace. Though we will fall short, God is not an exacting God of punishment, but rather a gracious God of reconciliation. One former leper, though, does come to Jesus. And Luke notes he was a Samaritan. When it comes to God, there are no such things as foreigners. In the love of God, there are no outsiders, no matter our past, no matter our doubts, no matter our mistakes, no matter our party affiliation, no matter our identity or orientation, no matter our worldly status, God's love is for each of us and all of us. He then bows at Jesus' feet and gives him thanks. The Greek word here is Eucharisto. Every time we celebrate the Holy Eucharist, we are assuming the posture of this former leper. We are recognizing God's gift of healing in Jesus. We are intentionally stopping to give praise and thanks for this mercy. And we are brought into a deeper relationship with Jesus. This is the transforming power of being grateful. 
It connects us to Jesus and brings us into the fullness of salvation. Jesus tells him to get up. And the word that Luke records here is noteworthy. You know how when you're reading an article online, you find something underlined and in blue? It's called a hyperlink. You click on it and it takes you to some other web page. A hyperlink connects two ideas. Well, that's what Luke is doing here. Thousands of, thousands of years before the internet, he's using a hyperlink. He is connecting us to Easter because the word used for get up here is the same word that will be used on Easter morning to describe the getting up that Jesus does. It's the word for resurrection. Now, it's not that God rewards us for being grateful and having good manners and always saying please and thank you, but it is through gratitude that we enter into the way of Jesus. Gratitude becomes a doorway into the kingdom. All 10 lepers were healed, but something distinct happened with the Samaritan. Jesus says to him, your faith has made you well. A more direct translation would be your faith has saved you. Now I realize that when Christians in the South talk about being saved, all sorts of things come to mind. But instead of chasing down all those ideas, let's just stick with what Jesus says. In praising God and in giving thanks, the Samaritan is saved. Now note that the Samaritan doesn't die here. So clearly salvation is not about where he spends eternity. No, salvation is more beautiful and transformative than that. Salvation is encountering the coming of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Salvation is partaking in the peace that is true today because we are assured that all things will be well. Salvation is the awareness that we live in a world in which something as grand and impossible as resurrection happens. Salvation is not limited to what happens after death. Salvation is about entering into the freedom, empowerment, and joyful service of being God's beloved. That's what we heard being referenced in 2 Timothy in what was likely an early hymn or creed of the church. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. One of the most common phrases that St. Paul uses to describe our salvation is that we are in Christ. And that's what these verses point us towards. Salvation is when we come and see that our story is not what we make for ourselves. Our worth is not what we can earn for ourselves. Our value is not determined by how much we can accomplish. Our purpose is not to save the world or be the best version of ourselves. Instead, our story is that we are in Christ. Our meaning and our value are secured by Christ's death and resurrection. Our mission and our purpose is not to accomplish or do anything, but rather to come and see just how much we are loved and therefore how much we have to be grateful for and then to participate in this love by sharing it with those around us. Salvation is something to be enjoyed. Because he recognizes that he has been healed by the one through whom all things were made, 
and who loves him as if there were no other, the Samaritan responds with gratitude and enters into the salvation of being loved. Gratitude, which we all have the opportunity to practice in our stewardship campaign, opens us more fully to receive the salvation that has been gifted to us in Jesus. In addition to generosity, we can practice being grateful every day by noting what we are thankful for, what gifts we have received. You might write it down in a journal. You might say it in prayer. You might discuss it over the dinner table. And then we respond with thankful hearts. And we really do have to practice this. Gratefulness does not come naturally, especially in our fast-paced lives when we don't often take enough time to pay attention to the world around us. In gratitude, we are awakened to the depths of God's love and are transformed to live in a resurrected world. Dear Lord, thou hast given so much to us. Give us one thing more, a grateful heart. Not thankful when it pleases us, as if thy blessings had spare days, but such hearts whose very pulse may be thy praise.